Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. All right, Chris, we're here, and uh, I'm excited, man. This is a it's a new Friday, and uh, we're heading into a new direction and uh, a new topic just after completing that 12 weeks of uh, discussions around leadership, which was fantastic. Yeah, it's always fun to take a journey, and it's fun for a journey to end. And <laughs> right, man. <laughs> It's the both end of it. And uh, yeah, so as we as we dive into today, what gets me excited is helping leaders get better. And yeah. that's what we're here to do. Yeah. And the topic today is really interesting. It comes from just our observation of a bunch of client work that has come across uh, recently and uh, all exciting stuff. And we're working with a lot of clients today who have built wonderful client companies Uh and, you know, it's it's amazing to walk into an organization that is really operating at a high, high level because you know how tough it is to get there. Um, you know, so many clients, so many companies are judged by their size and how much, how big they get over time and how much time. And, and uh, typically that's done by folks who don't really appreciate the involved what what it takes to get there what's involved in building and sustaining a great company well I, I, this is why i love these kind of conversations because of what you just said not appreciating what it takes to build and sustain um look i'm going to be happy for someone if they're a friend and they get very lucky they have an idea that turns into an a business of impact and they didn't have to struggle through a ton of phases and product market fit, you know, all these things that you go through, I'll be happy for them. But the, this represents a dangerous uh, place to be. Jim Collins talks about it, right? You, you're, you don't know why you're successful and that can be so dangerous, but yet those kinds of stories end up getting so much attention and press. Um, those end up being the ones that in our circles get celebrated the most and even at a national level, magazines, whatever. But it's it's the people in the arena that are crawling on their elbows from phase to phase and getting smarter as they go that can really learn, ah, I did this and it led to this. Um, right, I may have right. never told you this before, but real quick. Right. In my 20s, I was put in a place with a lot more success and momentum than I had right. to earn. It's my late twenties. So then I was flippant with it and I monkeyed with it. And I, I, I ruined it by like 40%. Uh, and, and then I was like, Oh, years later when I did it from scratch, I didn't appreciate what it took to earn each of those levels. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, and it's like any in any situation, any walk of life, when success is too easy, 
Um, it doesn't have the respect and it can be fleeting. You can lose it. Uh, no doubt. So thinking about moving from great to growth, you talked about Jim Collins, uh, famously wrote the book from good to great. You know, when we think about great to growth, what we're thinking about our, our organizations that have, that really are dialed in mm. have dialed in every element of their business and they are operating very successfully. What we see is that when organizations shift from that maintenance mode to, Hey, let's drive growth. And they begin to, they begin to now take steps into the abyss and face uh, change or pursue change or then respond to change. Um, their ability to operate and functional on a high level changes. Mm-hmm. And it's harder to hit those levels of growth. And what we see is typically when those organizations do that, how do they make up for those short, the shortcomings? They make up for those shortcomings with heroic efforts uh, from key individuals. And there's always more time in the day you can work and there's always more effort you can put forth and there's you can always try harder until you hit a certain level. And typically that's when the growth trajectory stumbles, the team stumbles, we miss a quarter here, miss a quarter there. And all of a sudden now we're scrambling. We can't work any harder. We can't give any more time. Now, what do we do? Mm. This is why I think for me, working with CEOs, I, I love coaching a CEO that people on the outside would think is very successful. But if you followed them around every day, you'd be like, are they lazy? I don't know if they know how to work hard. And they do. They've just so developed their ability to be effective, to leverage moments, to really keep, you know, their mindset sharp in, in relation to those two areas, um, that they are, are getting just immeasurably more of an output literally from four, eight, 12 hours of focused work a week versus 50 and 60 running around like, you know, a chicken with their head cut off. Um, and, and, and for me coaching those people, it is so fun to get to view that from the, you know, inside out. And, and it, those are people that I learned from because I can be like a superhero effort today is the only thing I can feel good about. Um, if, and, and I'm curious if you've ever felt this way, Jimmy, where it's like, if I didn't give a superhero effort today and every day this week, then I can't feel good about the weekend. Um, and that's the, that's the measuring stick that I used to measure myself for a long time. And I will confess this to our listeners. <laughs> this isn't going to surprise Jimmy. He's like, yeah, duh, I know when you confess something like this, like people that care about you and know you aren't surprised when I'm stressed now, that's still what I can fall back to so easy, you know? And I'm like, man, I didn't leave it all on the field today. Um, and so, yeah, I think this is very, very common for high performing people or want to be high performers. Yeah. And it's, you know, is it, is it terrible? Is it a terrible thing? Like when I, when I get stressed, I eat, um, you know, when I'm stressed about work, I build my pipeline, you know, (laughs) happiness is a full and qualified pipeline. And I, not only do I say that, but I mean, I believe that at my core and it's just, it's as natural as breathing to me. And, um, and it's the truth. Uh, but I also know about what I also know about you is that you're a systems thinker, you're a systems operator, and that you you 
understand the pie, the concepts of leverage. And I think that's what we're here to talk about today is, you know, when you're a founding CEO or a co-founder of business, you know, it is, you recognize that there is, you have a long-term objective, but you know, you can't get to that long-term objective unless you have short-term success. So it's super easy to fire the afterburners every day and just go full out, run the sprints every day to get going, raise money, whatever you have to do, uh, penetrate the market, improve your delivery, sustain those, retain those clients, build the biz, uh, whatever it takes. And you do that for a long enough time that it becomes a habit. And then when you when it comes time to to foresee the transition the business requires from depending upon a few key heroes to building systems that now can leverage everyone in the organization, that oftentimes can sneak up on us. It's oftentimes why we also think of startup or founding CEOs as different than growth CEOs, not suggesting that you fire yourself, but suggesting that a different mindset is required to make the transition. If you can foresee the transition and make the mindset early, great. If you are stuck in a couple down quarters and you're now in a crisis mode, fine. Just if you if you can start making that transition immediately, then you can um, you can make that move. But there is that transition is required. That shift is required at some point. Yeah. You know, what happened for me, and this was actually in my mid-20s, I was in a ton of leadership responsibility and and roles and and public-facing pressure and all this kind of stuff. And actually, I remember hearing John Maxwell, the leadership guy, say something. Um, I forget how he phrased it. It was more punchy than this. But basically, you know, good leaders think more about processes than events. and so. What that did for me in the context of like, literally I had seven standing meetings a week, you know, 12 direct reports and just all this. Um, and, and, and then, you know, a ton on top of that, but all of that was happening in this context. And I was like, oh my gosh, like everything I do, I have to think through this effect on the organization and and how change matters and and the systemized approach and what's really interesting to me about this is what brain science has recently affirmed can we talk brain science for like a minute if we must if we must uh so so we know now dopamine the misunderstanding that happens with dopamine is that it's a satisfaction reward. And so people, the misunderstanding is I'm going to go on social media and I'm going to get these likes and that's going to give me satisfaction. Instead, dopamine, more than it's about satisfaction, it's about more. We want more of that thing. And that's a distinguishing characteristic because satisfied, I'm done with it. More is like, I liked it, but I want more. So the mental trick here is this. If you can learn to love the process more than the result, the dopamine renews. If the dopamine is connected to the result, then you you have that hollowed out experience, right? So, you know, I had my best quarter ever and you're emotionally crashing because you're more excited about the result than the process. Tracking so far, I want to push a little further. Any thoughts or questions to that? Yeah, I think it's great. Um, from a sales perspective, 
if you attach to the result or the outcome, it's it's something you can't control. So if you are attached to it, you are going to become victim to that roller coaster ride, and uh, you're going to be out of control. Uh, quarter over quarter, month over month, week over week, day over day, doesn't matter. Um, you close a sale, you're a winner. You lose a sale, you're a loser, and you can get sucked into that um, that zero sum game mentality. Uh, and it sounds like what you're talking about is: look, I can control my process, and if I fall in love with that. And I'm always tweaking and perfecting that, and I'm always optimizing that, then of course, results will come. Uh, but I always have a, a place to focus that I control. And now I'm in control of my emotions, and now I'm in control of all the things you're talking about. Dude, okay, man, I'm gonna nerd out because this is what's gonna help people listening to this, especially in sales. Um, you know, it, it's like, we both do this resistant band workout system. We've talked about that before in another yeah. episode. Yeah. And if, if me looking in the mirror flexing is what gives me the joy, well, A, I'm in trouble because I got a skinny frame. <laughs> I'm slim. Although I do have a corn chip belly. Right. Uh, well, corn chips. <clears throat> and the minute you flex and someone doesn't say, ooh, you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you're again attached to the outcome it's like oh my god people aren't impressed like what am i yeah, doing and exactly. you never go back to the gym again right <laughs> so so it's like loving the process and so actually two days ago was doing something i've done for a year doing this program a year and four months whatever it is and i can feel how i can do the exercise better and flex the muscle more and get better workout so the process like evolved for me a little bit and and if i can love the process more and and it's not hype. It's not forcing yourself to do this. It's really reorienting how you experience, you know, your mind, paying attention at a deeper level, mindset upgrade. Everything starts to shift because then you get fascinated with developing awareness. Now, Jimmy, this goes back to you and I meeting. Uh, both of us have what? A transformational process-based approach. Mm. That's why our work syncs up so well. Let me break the fourth wall with the listeners. Jimmy just saw me in a meeting use the wins model to sell. And I don't know how it's going to go. I I look forward to figuring out from the result, you know, whatever the joy or the celebration or the loss that comes from that. But the real win, the dopamine for me, was was being in the moment, executing at the highest level possible and paying attention to where I can get better, right? Um, it's process. And that's that's the that's this great, I love how you're framing this, you know, from great to growth because you could you could be great as a CEO. You could be great as a sales leader. and you're not actually yet to growth because you're not getting into that mindset of process. Right. And that's systems thinking. And the reason I love the word systems, uh, because I, I like to think about what goes into creating a growth culture. Mm. Right? I mean, if you think think about the culture you build when you're depending upon the superhuman achievements of a handful of people, you know, you have 100 people in your organization and five of them are moving the needle and everybody knows it. Yeah. You know, and what what are you doing? You're creating an environment where, oh, I could never be that good. 
or I could never perform like them. And so what ends up happening, and this has been proven with science and research and that we can point to, um, when people see the pinnacle of their potential, when it's when it seems to be too far out of reach or too difficult to get to or too unique to be that person, they play for second place. They stop trying, which is why the Jack Welsh model of 2070-10, we're gonna fire the bottom 10%, and cultivate the middle 70% to become as good as the top 20%. When the top 20% appear to be working at a level that is unachievable by the, by the middle ground, the middle ground, the middle group just plays for middle. They play for second place. And so they don't even try. And so if you, so this speaks to this idea that sales organizations that hit their numbers, half the people on the team typically do not. And of the performers that contribute to that success, the team-wide success, because they're overcompensating for the folks that didn't hit their numbers, half of those folks can't predictably repeat quarter after quarter. So what you end up having is an organization, again, dependent upon heroes to make up for the inconsistencies of the rest of the team. So what do you do? You could be view yourself as a great company because you're hitting your number and all the metrics required. But what are you doing to elevate the other folks in the team? What's the benefit of elevating the other folks in the team by building systems that raise all boats, that make everyone better, that democratizes the, the systems that the top performers are using? What happens? Right? It's why we say you can, you can triple your growth rate without hiring another person because you're elevating the performance of everyone on the team. You're creating a system that generates leverage. And now instead of you instead of having individuals working on their own thing, you have an entire team working on how they can make themselves and the team better. That's the one plus one equals three. And that's what happens when you think this way. This is that's what happens when you think when you are able to execute from great to growth and achieve the systems-based leverage and get all your leaders, people, and systems aligned for that purpose. Oh, I love it. I love it. This captures the peak potential for a team. And yes. so many are held back up by that false ceiling. The other part of our conversation captures the the bottom, the baseline of the team. So you can think about it like this range. Now, this is an anecdotal observation for me. I want to run it by you, see what you think. But just watching teams and cultures, you know, and I think this kind of pulls together what what we're saying here. A team at the bottom is as weak as its weakest mindset. It's as strong as its systems. So it's like the top end of the potential, the strength is determined by the systems. The bottom end is determined by the mindset. And that's how these both come together. Hmm. Um, anything you would add, challenge to that? Just curious, trying it on for size. No, I think it's it's great. I think what's interesting is when you think about strong and weak mindsets, right? A lot of us are trained, especially if we're athletes, especially if we're athletes of individual sports. I think I played one team sport for one season um, in all of my schooling. Mm. Everything was individual. <laughs> I can probably go back and analyze that. Uh, I'm, getting, I'm doing it now in my head. Yeah, man, you can see all that. It, it, in the back in the day, it was just, hey, I just want to be, 
I want to be responsible for my own success, right? I didn't want to have to depend on, but, mm-hmm. but that mindset is debilitating because I could have changed my thinking and said, look, it's not that I don't want to depend on others. I didn't want to help improve others. I didn't want to go through the problem, the, the challenge of helping others get better. I didn't see that back then. Yeah. So the mindset that a lot of individual contributors come to um, work with every day is I'm going to work on myself. Yeah. And unfortunately for a lot of sales leaders, that doesn't change. I'm going to work on myself. I'm going to help each of these individuals get better. I'm going to join them on sales calls. I'm going to critique their stuff. I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to worry about whether they follow the sales process or not. Put the data in the CRM that we demand so you can get paid. I'm not going to think about the value of all that. I'm just going to think about doing what I can do as an individual to help each of these individuals get better. You can see that as a strong mindset. Hey, I'm taking responsibility for myself. Uh, But you can also think of that as a weak mindset when the objective, the higher level objective is the team, the organization, and how the leaders, people, and systems combine to generate that growth culture that can now become self-sustaining because now you can hire people to fit the culture. You can train them to fit the culture, not to fix it like we do so often. And a company just ends up recycling that fix it mentality over and over and over again. Yeah. I, you know, what's, what's powerful is when people experience the shift you're talking about. And I remember it like, you know, ended an opportunity, started another opportunity. And the first one I was like, oh, am I growing? Am I growing? Am I growing? Am I growing? The next one, are they growing? Are they growing? Are they growing? Are they growing? Totally changed everything. And that's, you know, that kind of living, that kind of leading, it makes all this fun. It's going to be hard. Who said it would be easy? It's going to be challenging. It also creates the context for bonds of community that, and because we're talking about this idea of individual sports, I alone will be responsible for my success. It creates these bonds of community that like you change each other's lives. It, it makes everything so much richer um, and, and more meaningful. And so, you know, you, you get the growth and we want the growth, but you get the joy and the fun too. It's going to be challenging. Why not have fun doing it? Um, and we're all wired up different. I mean, some people want a few close relationships and some people want a, a broader uh, experience um, and introvert, extrovert, the whole thing. We're getting smarter about that as a society, but none of us want to be alone, you know? And if we do, and I know we can align on that in some seasons of our life, it's because something is off in us and we're like, I gotta, I gotta be successful. This group project crap's going to take me down. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when you're in school and it's like, you've got a good grade and you got to do the group project and some oaf on the team is like not doing their part, phoning it in. And I know sales from what I've learned from hearing your story draws in people who are going to be like, I will not have someone else hold my success back. Um, So it's a hard gap to close for people. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's easier for a lot of individual, individual contributors to just have that mentality when they are faced with the prospect of working with a team member, a sales engineer or delivery person or technical expert who they don't view as being up to par 
it's just easier for that individual contributor to always be fighting with and always be battling with those people throughout their entire career. Mm. Um, it's much harder, even though that seems like the harder path, it's much harder for that person to look in the mirror and say, Hey, how can I contribute to making this easier? Because, because the problem with that is, Oh, now I have to do something different. I have to make an investment in these other folks. What if the investment doesn't work out? And so you begin to talk about, you begin to talk yourself out of the investment. Uh, yeah, it does take some investment up front, but what we miss, and I'm speaking from personal experience, what we miss um, is the awareness of the rewards and how immeasurable they can be after you take that step. Mm. How would you, a sales leader, how would you answer this question, asks, I'm a lone wolf. You're breaking through to me a little bit. How do I become a person who values and works better with a team without losing the strength that I feel like I get from being a lone wolf? Yeah. I, you know, for me, um, if somebody, if somebody's asking a question like that, they're curious about what's in it for them. Before I would talk about how to get there, I would further explore what's in it for them. Mm. Right. So if you think about, think about this analogy, right? You have a founding CEO who has a plan to, to exit the company in five years, or you have a founder of a business who's been running that business for 20 years and discovers it's not worth what they thought it was. And they want to retire and spoil their grandkids. So they have a, they have a five-year window. You know, what's going to, what's going to, what's powerful about those two situations is the outcome is so much bigger. The reward of that outcome is so much bigger than where they are now that it overshadows, right? It makes the work that they're going to have to do to shift their mindset and shift their culture and and approach uh, how they operate differently. It's going to make that work, that investment seem easy. Hmm worthwhile right mm. if i can't help an individual on their own make that decision that says look the investment compared to the return is minuscule it's easy it's a cakewalk hell yeah i'm going to do it because the alternative and it may also be because the alternative is just too ugly to to bear that may be the other side of it, right? The the fact of the thought of not being able to achieve at the highest possible level just is unacceptable to me. So yeah, I'm gonna make that investment. But you've got to have it's got got to all be about the want there, Chris, because change is hard. And I've said this to many clients over the years. Uh, and growth is the mastery of change. But man, sustaining the pr the pressure and the focus on change consistently over time can be uh, exhausting, mm. right? Mm. Especially when before you thought of yourself as a success. Now, why am I working so hard? <laughs> yeah. So that's got to be that, that North Star that we're all focused on and committed to, to keep it, uh, to keep it going. Yeah, that's awesome. I was on a walk this week and uh, the thought that hit my conscious awareness was like, and and it wasn't a hubris thought. It was just a noticing thought. I am so much better at maintaining 
focus um, than, than I can remember ever. And, and it's this idea of you, you can get better with age as a leader with harnessing the, the impact of your, your efforts and your energy and the distractions that would have been there before. And I, and I try to work at what I do like a surgeon. I mean, that's how I kind of like think about it as an analogy, like how would a surgeon attack this next hour, you know, shut it all out and get it done. Um, but, but feeling that like feeling the, the impact of that to my conscious awareness, like what it means to focus, we're not talking about you're giving up an ability to perform at the highest level and trading off and sacrificing so that you can do it with a team. But when you do it in a place where there's a team and there's strong systems, it's not a heroic effort. It doesn't have to be the, the hero that saves the day, but you can bring, and hopefully every individual is doing this, bring the best of who you are. And the team protects you from the worst of who you are. And, and because of what we have going on as a team right now, I feel like it's elevated my ability to focus because I'm like, oh, I need to cut that out. I need to not do that. Anyway, I could, this is just a current in the moment learning. No, it's, it's a great learning. And I, I'm thinking about some of the clients we've talked about and situations we've been in. And I'm just thinking about myself. Um, I know. So I, so your point is correct. Um, the caveat is you have to have a team you trust. You have to have team members that you can count on. One of my biggest challenges over the years is my inability to put together in various situations um, team members I could trust and that I could count on. And so what did that teach me? And I, I know a ton. I mean, I, I know I have a client who sold his business for upwards of 300 million bucks and um, still said that he never met a salesperson he respected. Mm. In other words, never met a salesperson that, that he thought could re really do their job, even though wow. he had built a successful business. You know, imagine imagine running a company not being able to count on the people who you counted on to drive growth. And of course, it, it's a big enough company that he couldn't step in and do it himself. But I, that's how I learned in business. I learned that I couldn't count on people. Mm. And it created a mindset for me that, yeah, I, I'm curious and I want to change, but there was a, you know, a blind spot there for me. There was a real inability and a skepticism. It didn't mean I stopped trying, but it did mean that it was harder for me to give that trust. It took long, you know, with every failure, it would take me longer <laughs> to establish the rapport and the relationship. Uh, now, of course, eventually, by the way, this is not because I was hiring the wrong people. It was because of my uh, my shortcomings in how I developed these people over time. And finally, I learned, I'm beginning to learn how to develop these people. So uh, I take full responsibility for that. But I can see how CEOs and other successful folks uh, can learn that they can't count on others. And that might stop them from trying. And the challenge of a coach, obviously, is to create that awareness. And then if their goal is one that includes challenging this mindset, then helping them think about how to challenge that in a, in a healthy way. Mm. 
Dude, you're taking me back to when my approach for so long with the team was go faster, go harder. What's the question? (laughs) (laughs) And I had a guy on the team and it was an awesome moment. I still, I could tell you his name. I could tell you what he looks like. I mean, this was a before and after moment. I've had lots of them because I needed lots of them. Um, And I'm laying out a direction in the meeting. And and he goes, Chris, we're with you. You don't have to word it in a threatening way that if we're not with you. Um, When you word it, he said something like, when you word it like that, it cuts off relationship, you know? And I was like, whoa, I'm not trying to do that. But it's the insecurity that I'm approaching this with. And I'm trying to move very fast because this vision vision is fragile. Vision is fragile. Um, and yeah, now I know that is not the best approach. And it, and and truly, it's 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 not something I've modified on the external to appear better to others. Right. It's something that's shifted inside of me. I don't have to think about the language. The overflow of who I am has changed. And so. That's, that's what we want for people. Yeah. So I, I have to, I can't let you go without asking this question. So in that moment, whether it was in that moment or just the way you approached everyone when it, when the pressure was on, what was it about your thinking or your mindset that made you feel like you had to be threatening to get people to pay attention? Um. So the go faster to get more achievement was like the core thing. But what was right on top of that was, and don't give away too much power or they're going to hurt you. Um, I I wouldn't have consciously felt it that way at the time, but that is the way that, you know, that I was experiencing it. Um, At the time, I would have just had this internal guidance system that just made me aware of if they have power over me, they're going to keep me from hitting my goals. Thus, they're going to keep me from the achievements that are going to bring me worth. Mm-hmm. And so that was, and so when, you know, when we talk about mindset here, my good people of the podcast and the internet listening to this, uh, we're not talking about like, I didn't really value team and now I value team. We're talking about deep root system at the core of who you are, shifting the mindset so that what you're afraid of becomes transformative and your value system shifts. And it's not externally uh, like applied and put on you and I got to change. It's an internal, you relax into this. And that's that's how transformation works. Yeah, yeah. I think um, just putting myself on the couch, um, when, I, uh, when I talk about this idea of <clears throat> building teams that I can trust, what the one of the first things I l- learned about myself was that I wasn't giving the level of trust that I was expecting. Right. I would only go so far. I would only be so vulnerable. I would only be so giving. I would only be so forgiving. And, you know, of course, if you're bring, trying to bring high performance in your team, they're going to, they're going to respond to you in the way that you treat them. So they they only gave me so much. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the bond 
became so fragile and weak that it wasn't worth it. It wasn't strong enough to sustain, you know, the working relationship. Uh, and so, and so today it's like, so today I go, I'm still thoughtful, but I will go above and beyond in terms of vulnerability, transparency, authenticity, accountability, so that I can earn the right to ask for that in return. I love it. I love it. I mean, uh, for me now with building teams, my approach, this whole thing, give what you want to get back. I'm I'm going to give empowerment. I, I want people to have influence in team settings um, at equal to and better and, and more influence than I have in their areas of expertise expertise and domains that they are passionate and gifted to lead. So, so match my influence and even more influence that I have in, than I have in their domains. That's what makes a healthy team. Cause then I am, I'm being protected by their strengths and they're amplifying mine. And that's, that's when it's fun. And when you get to the point at a team that you can joke about these things, you know, when you can joke about them, there's no threat. That's why comedians are so awesome. They take the thing people are insecure and threatened about and make it funny. Right. Now it now we just defanged it. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, great conversation on mindset uh, and moving from great to growth. No matter where we are, the thing I think that threatens us is this idea of complacency, right? We can always improve. You know, unless we um, allow complacency to take over. Right on, my man. It's Thank so you, fun bro. to have this combo with you. Yeah, until next time, man. Make it a good week. Yes. Peace. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com. F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com.